0: Well, I think the original intent on gambling law was a good one. Um, Back when common law gambling law, which evolved out of England and came to the United States, when it was originally created, the idea was to protect people from becoming wards of the state and to make sure that we don't have to provide basic needs for those that have no money because they've spent everything that they have on gambling.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thank you for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from very beautiful, sunny Southern California. Bob, I understand you think you've been transplanted.
3: <laughs> this this whole winter, Craig, uh, has has not quite happened up here. Uh, it's it's a beautiful day in Boston, uh, close to 80 degrees. The sun is shining, the birds are tweeting. Uh, my windows and doors are all open, and I'm feeling like I'm in Southern California. <laughs> well, I know you write some legal blogs. Uh, I do. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. How about you? And I
2: have a blog out called How to Get Su- or a book out How to Get Sued and a blog called May it Please the Court. And Bob, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com, and PC Law by LexisNexis. For a free trial, you can go to pclaw.com slash radio. Well, across the country, the month of March means milder weather. It's for some of us, spring break, of course, and college basketball madness. It also means NCAA, basket bracket pools in the workplace, and bets between friends. That's right. You got your bracket all filled out, Craig? I actually don't participate in it at all, (laughs) just for the reason we're going to be discussing this morning.
3: Uh, Well, uh, uh, I'm happy to say the only bracket in my house is done by my son, who's studying statistics, and they're having him do it as an exercise in class. So how's that? Well, anyway, some estimates say that Americans bet about $2.5 billion on sporting events every year in uh, in gambling outlets, like the sports books at Las Vegas casinos. All of that is legal, of course, but tens of billions of dollars, uh, it's estimated, are bet outside of these casinos.
2: And our question today is, how much of that is legal? And our guests are here to help us find out. First up is Professor Mark Edelman. Mark is a member of the faculty at Barry University's Duane O. Andreas School of Law. He teaches and writes in the areas of antitrust, contracts, property law, and sports law, and he's a regular contributor to the Sports Log blog and a returning guest here on Lawyer to Lawyer. Welcome, Mark.
0: My pleasure to be here.
3: And also joining us today is another returning guest. Uh, it's uh, Clay Travis. Clay is an attorney uh, and sports fanatic. He's an online columnist for Fan House as well as the author of two best-selling books. Clay also hosts co-hosts uh, a sports radio talk show in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer, Clay.
4: Appreciate you all having me.
3: Well, and guys our
2: our question today really is just because everybody does it and bets outside of the Las Vegas casinos and and gets into these uh NCAA bracket pools is this really legal
4: the answer is no uh, i <laughs> mean you know for money it's uh it's not legal uh everybody does it and uh you know it's kind of a a broader issue i think in uh in society we really don't have a very effective And I'm sure a lot of other people can speak to this better than I can. But what I see on a regular basis is the current American law makes an awful lot of sports fans violate that law in order to follow their teams, bet on their teams, be what we consider to be normal fans. And I think that just speaks to a larger issue that exists in American uh, jurisprudence today, which is we're criminalizing a lot of things that everybody does.
3: Well, now that we've uh, decided that, I guess we could just call the show over and... uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, well, if you want me to jump in here, uh, not only is the answer that, from a technical perspective, it's probably illegal, but if you're betting on the NCAA tournament, you're probably violating not one law, but many laws at the same time. Uh, We have the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which is a federal law which prevents wagering schemes on professional or amateur athletics. We have the Uniform Internet Gambling Act. And then every state has state law with respect to gambling. And perhaps today we'll get into the details a little bit further. Uh, I agree with um, Clay Travis that some of these laws are when the gambling is de minimis, perhaps over the top. But they are indeed the law. And those of us that are gambling on fantasy sports or entering gambling on the NCAA or entering the brackets, uh, technically are probably violating gambling law on both a state and on a federal level.
2: So does anybody really enforce this law? I mean, I, you know, we all, I, from the standpoint that I mean, I, I've seen brackets in offices and just about anywhere where people get together. Uh, have, does this ever get prosecuted?
4: That's a great question. I don't remember any individual, uh, you know, bracket challenge getting popped. Now, every now and then, you'll have issues that become major in the world of college athletics. A few years ago, Rick Neuheisel, who was then the head coach at Washington was participating in a high stakes NCAA tournament pool and he lost his job um at Washington, sued the NCAA and ended up getting his uh you know, a substantial multi million dollar settlement over that. And then went on to become UCLA's head coach and lose his job there. Uh so you get high profile situations like that, but that's not really a federal or state entity prosecuting. I would think it would just have to be a massive ring, uh, with with Probably hundreds or, or tens of thousands of dollars at stake for the authorities to uh, to take notice of it
3: well well mark I, I mean you mentioned that there are many layers of, of laws here, and uh, maybe we can get into that a little bit but uh I mean the other question uh, we talk a lot about friends and family doing it what about uh, workplace? This going on in the workplace. Uh, do employers, uh, even if they're not actively in- involved in in these in in, in the betting at all, uh, do they face any liability for condoning this kind of stuff?
0: I mean, workers, uh, employers overall are probably hesitant to have their employees playing or putting in NCAA brackets because, as we know. Uh, the number one time-kill week in the year, the least productive week of the year, is the first round of the NCAA tournament, because it's an acti- it's an activity that's going on. Um, it would seem to be remote that any- that an employer would have liability for it, per se. Um, but if the employer or a high-level ranking official in a company is going around and collecting the bids, uh, you always have the slight issue that someone would try to make a responde at superior claim.
2: So, in other words, if you lose money in the office pool, just sue your sue your boss.
0: <laughs> and then That'll the other interesting well. question is, to the extent that entering one of these pools violates state law, and in most states it will, uh, is there even a remedy, or is the contract just void in itself?
2: Well, we know it's void at a minimum, but uh, what about law firms? I mean, you know, I'm not going to name any names here, but I have certainly been in law firms as a visitor and and, uh, other times during March, not that I would say that any of the law firms I've ever worked at does this, but, um, you know, and I get, I've been, you know, in a deposition and somebody says, hey, you want to participate in our pool and throws it across the table at me. You know, lawyers are supposed to know better, but here they are betting on sports books. What do you guys say to that?
4: I think it just goes to, if you criminalize something that everybody is doing, then nobody takes the law seriously um and uh i i think that just speaks to over regulation and uh, uh really to me this is this is a big issue to me is the way that our country treats gambling um and you know the, the the laws that we've passed to stop in particular uh online gaming you know chasing down these offshore books and everything else in an era when no state can balance its books very consistently There are billions of dollars in tax money and revenue that a lot of these offshore uh, entities would love to be pouring into the coffers that they're not allowed to do. And I think, you know, the fact that these brackets are so popular speaks to how abundant the market is for sports wagering in general.
0: Also, just to add to that, not every NCAA bracket, merely filling out an NCAA bracket uh, in itself does not violate any state or federal law. Um, For something to be deemed gambling, there are generally three elements that are required. Uh, Consideration, which is a payment up front, or some type of change of behavior. Um, A finding that the game is one of chance, and a reward on the back end. Uh, If you remove the consideration on the front end, uh, a game would not be problematic, uh, at least in most states. So the simplest way is if, for example, a law firm decided it would be good for camaraderie, to have an NCAA bracket competition in the law firm. But nobody pays an entry fee to enter. Everybody gets to enter for free, and they decide to give a reward at the end. That's going to be a much lower risk behavior than if there's an entry fee involved. That's a really good breakdown. The other thing that jumps out to
4: me about that is determining what exactly is chance and what exactly is skill. Uh, because a lot of fantasy football leagues um, are trying to get around the the legal prohibition on gambling by, you know, somebody pays $20 to join the league. You can make an argument uh, in, in the world of fantasy football, even in bracket picking, theoretically, that people who are more skilled in knowing what they're doing uh, in terms of picking teams, in terms of knowing, you know, matchups and everything else are better at it. And therefore, there is a skill component just like there's a skill component in poker which we recognize is somewhat different at least in the way that it's treated than you know simply pulling a uh, a lever at a uh, slot machine. I mean, I think you know the, the spectrum of what exactly is the skill involved in this this game is actually kind of a, a fascinating angle in and of itself.
0: And I think Clay makes a great point because the definition of the word chance is not even the same from state to state. I mean, just for example, if you took the difference between the law in Arizona and the law in New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey law makes it very clear that if an activity is more skill than it is chance, it's not going to meet the element of chance and thus not be a problem under gambling law. We see that from fantasy sports cases. Um, However, on the other end of the spectrum, in Arizona, if there is any chance involved, or in Arkansas, if there is any chance involved the game would be prohibited. And there it would be a lot more difficult to argue that the NCAA bracket is an activity of skill.
2: Why isn't a lottery also gambling?
0: Well, it is gambling in the technical sense. But again, to give a lawyer's answer, not all types of gambling are illegal gambling. Uh, Indeed, states do choose to carve out for themselves a host of behaviors that are profitable to the state to allow. I mean, just to give the greatest case of irony here, in the area of fantasy sports, uh, Louisiana has been a state that's been extremely aggressive at going after fantasy sports games, arguing that they are illegal gambling. Uh, however, they have a carve-out for casinos because it's very profitable to the state.
3: And, of course, the Boston Red Sox and the Mass Lottery have a partnership uh, where they're selling lottery tickets branded with the Red Sox logo on it. So uh, it, how, how much of this is, you know, we're, we're so we're so used to talking about especially Marge Madness and the bracketing, about talking about this as an office pool, Super Bowl pools, uh, around college campuses. I, I'm wondering to what extent this is becoming more sophisticated. I mean, in this age when so much gambling is going on online, uh, when e-gaming has become a, a term of art, when there are lawyers specializing in e-gaming, uh, is is this kind of sports betting uh, taking on, uh, is it going online? Is it becoming more sophisticated in its uh, in its illegality
4: i think the dollars are growing because it becomes easier and easier to to place that wager and, and i think the disconnect for a lot of people is going to come i believe in and, and I, again i'm not an expert in this field at all but the obama administration has recently clarified that in-state lotteries can move online right that within the state borders of let's say tennessee has a lottery where i live here in nashville you could do advertising and allow people to wager online so long as that money was staying in state and wasn't crossing state lines. I think once you start to have all of these different avenues of gaming that are permissible, I think a lot of people start assuming that doing things like betting online, I mean, I see it every day with my sports talk radio show. I mean, we have guys coming on doing touting lines and everything else, we're in Nashville. It's technically illegal to make any any wagers unless you're getting on a plane and flying to Las Vegas uh, in time for the weekend games. But everybody wants to know the line. Everybody wants to know who to pick. I mean, that's why it's such a multi-billion-dollar industry out there in the uh, in the underground.
3: Right, and I, and I guess part of what I'm asking is, is that underground extending online? I mean, are there websites now where you can go, uh, you know, be doing your bracketing online, be placing sports bets online? I'm not saying they're legal ones, but uh, oh, is certainly in the same way that there's casino gambling online?
0: Well, there's two layers of what you're seeing now on the Internet. Um, one is the this clearly violates uh, federal law. We're going to go ahead and we are going to run an NCAA tournament with an entry fee and a prize and hope nobody comes after us. Uh, what we also have is the far more subtle. Anybody could go on to ESPN.com or CBS Sports, or Yahoo, and fill out a bracket. Now, they might be filling out a bracket on a free contest, but you could create a league with a group of friends. Now, now that there's an online forum to host all the data, it's very easy for a group of, say, 20 people to get together and say, let's post our picks on ESPN. And let's agree that we'll all pay $10 to one of our friends as a prize for the contest, and then we'll pay out the winner. Now this has become very interesting um, in light of PayPal and what PayPal recently announced, which is they are not going to allow funding. Um, that PayPal will not accept money, which is earmarked towards NCAA contests, um, because they might be running afoul to the Uniform Internet Gambling Act uh, if they take money in this manner.
2: Well, let's take this and stretch it just a little bit further. We've recently uh, run up against the bounty hunter scandal in the NFL where players were paid to uh, try and take out uh, other opposing team players. Uh, there sounds like there's an element of gambling to that. Uh, they were paid $50,000 for anybody they could take out, and that's not necessarily a— maybe that falls into the chance of that's just too much skill as opposed to no chance and no chance involved with that at all. You think that would fall into the gambling spin?
4: Oh, I mean, we've talked a lot about the salary cap ramifications of of decisions like that. Um, that's interesting. I mean, that seems almost more like a different federal offense, which would be almost a, uh, you know, uh, and, and again, I'm not an expert on, on criminal statutes, but I mean, if you're paying someone to injure someone, that is, that's almost like a hitman type situation, right? I mean, I would think that if there was a prosecutor that wanted to dive into uh, the nitty gritty of the NFL's investigation in New Orleans now is a new orleans prosecutor going to bring charges for um especially in light of the penalties that have have come out today is a new orleans prosecutor going to bring assault or battery charges against a uh, a saints player for attempting to intentionally injure someone outside of the scope of regular competition. Probably not if she not. wants to get reelected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably not if they want to get reelected, but what you often see in cases like these is, you know, the DA will make a uh you know, make a a big political pronouncement and investigate when it occurs in the uh the home jurisdiction of a, of the uh, of an opposing team. So in other words, if the Saints travel to uh let's insert a city here, let's say they're in Minnesota and they're trying to injure Brett Favre, and Brett Favre is a hometown hero of the Minnesota Vikings at the time, still beloved there. Then a lot of times you could get a prosecutor who would uh, look into that. Or hockey, it happens all the time. Is this fight outside the bounds of reasonably expected conduct? That to me has is, is always been a really interesting question. I, I don't know of any successful prosecutions from a criminal side for in, you know incidents like these, but I would think it would certainly be something that could be uh, could be examined.
3: Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, we will be back in just a moment to talk more about some of the legal issues surrounding gambling, March Madness, and uh, sports betting.
5: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing?
2: We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that, as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data.
5: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
2: And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's
1: G-O-C-L-I-O.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not?
5: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.:
1: Oh yeah. I need to do that too. Where do I find them?
5: It's easy. just go to legaltalknetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it and start listening. Or go to Westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk network programs available for CLE.
1: That's perfect. The office can wait tired of all the headaches of running your law firm want to spend your time doing what really matters then you need pc law pc law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter billing and accounting software it has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients get back to doing what matters to you for a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter. LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781 551 9960 Or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Our guests today are Clay Travis and Mark Edelman. Let's get back to our discussion on gambling and its legalities. Let's take a look at the aspect of Internet gambling. You know, we know it's legal to gamble in Las Vegas. So what happens if I get on my my computer in California or whatever state I'm in and uh, log on to a site in Las Vegas and place a bet? Am I covered or am I in trouble?
0: Well, that clearly comes under the Uniform Internet Gambling Act. Uh, The Uniform Internet Gambling Enforcement Act was passed by Congress in 2006. And it explicitly makes it illegal for those engaged in the business of betting or wagering to knowingly accept funds in connection with the participation of another person in unlawful internet gambling. Now, they define unlawful internet gambling as being based upon the state in which the participant is located. Um, So merely putting a website in a safe haven state or country does not get you around the UIGEA. Uh, In fact, some people call this statute the party poker statute because it was aimed primarily at the poker games that were based overseas, saying that they would not have a safe haven uh, as long as they targeted individuals in states where the activity was deemed to be gambling. It's it's an excellent question because there's a lot more
4: mobile gaming uh, in Las Vegas casinos now uh, with mobile devices, and I'll give you all an example. Uh, two years ago, I was out writing about the NCAA tournament, staying at the uh, staying at the Venetian, and in their casino, they have a partnership with Canter—I uh, believe it's Cantor Fitzgerald or whatever—but you know the bond traders. But they now have a, an asset called Cantor Gaming, where you can hold a mobile tablet device and bet on whether or not players make free throws during NCAA tournament, NBA, whatever it is, in real time. So they debuted that two years ago for the NCAA tournament, and I could literally be watching a game, uh, they were all games on in the casino, and I could bet on whether or not individual players were going to make individual free throw shots. The line is dynamic, so it constantly adjusts throughout the game, and you make live wagers on these devices. And I was fascinated by the concept. and uh, what they have so far limited them is you can't leave the casino floor with them. Uh, you can't leave that individual casino. They've set up wall, firewalls to keep them from working. Uh, but but what those guys were interested in doing is they said theoretically, as long as they could restrict it to the borders of the state of Nevada, you could have a mobile gaming device and be doing that from your bedroom or your living room just as easily as you could from the actual casino floor. And that to me is is really when it gets fascinating to think about all of the revenue streams that are there uh, for people out there, I, I was still blown away. The technology is 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 amazing.
3: There's an app for that. Yes, <laughs> uh, I, you know, from some of the stuff that that uh, I've been hearing both of you say during this conversation, I, I'm getting the sense that that uh, both of you uh, think that maybe these the laws uh, are, are really not realistic when they come, at least to you know individuals betting. Uh, 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 sort of innocuously on on, on sports events, uh, office pools, and that kind of thing. Uh, Clay, what's your take on that? Do you think the laws uh, need to be rewritten to allow uh, more uh, freedom for individuals to partake in certain kinds of sports betting anyway?
4: A hundred percent. I've written that. I mean, I think you know, 25, 30 years from now, uh, the absolute mess that we've made of gaming laws in this country, in terms of trying to set up different rules for different locations, uh, will be gone, and and it will be uh, kind of a ridiculous uh, ridiculous construct that we had. It's a political issue, though. I mean, it, it's not really a gaming issue. It's a Uh, it's a political issue. And and obviously, the people who have political benefits now, i.e. Las Vegas, um, Atlantic City to a certain extent, I mean, the places that do, the Indian casinos, don't want gaming to completely flourish and take over everywhere because it cuts into their individual uh, benefits that they've they've carved and exceptions that they've carved out of the law that exists now. But to me, it's it's, it's insane that I can go online and and order just about anything at any point to be shipped to my house uh, within the bounds of the law. But if I want to bet $50 on who's going to win a basketball game, I have to get on an airplane and fly to
0: Las Vegas to do it.
3: Mark, what about you? What's your position?
0: Well, I think the original intent on gambling law was a good one. Um, Back when common law gambling law, which evolved out of England and came to the United States, when it was originally created the idea was to protect people from becoming wards of the state and to make sure that we don't have to provide basic needs for those that have no money because they've spent everything that they have on gambling. Um, Clearly this preceded psychologists and psychiatrists defining things as addictive gambling, but there was a recognition of this type of behavior and not wanting people to become wards of the state. And I think that's all good. And that makes sense. Now the problem is, and I think Clay said it very well, that What we have here is we're not preventing people from engaging in all types of gambling activity or all types of activity that involves substantial risk of losing their money. Um, Just for the extreme example of where the law seems inconsistent with the policy, we are not allowed to bet $10 on Kentucky winning the NCAA tournament. But we are allowed to take our life savings and put it into a single stock Uh, on the market and that's considered to be financially reasonable behavior uh... so the problem is we've so lost the ship is so far left the yard already in the types of risky behavior uh... that we allow from a financial point of view and again clay is right that what's left of these laws seems to be picking and choosing uh... maybe fantasy sports has greater protection to some extent because they have lobbyists maybe part of why sports gambling has traditionally been looked at so negatively is because the sports leagues have heavily tried to prevent this type of behavior and the line between the two different activities sometimes is not clear but really overlaps.
4: i think it's a great example i was in uh... Kentucky covering the kentucky derby uh... recently and they have an actual wagering booth inside of the uh... inside of the media room so if you're a media member you could walk up and wager without having to stand in line uh... on whichever horses you want in whichever races <laughs> And it was just, you know, it's just so incongruous that you can wager on horses, and that the entire basis for much of the Kentucky racing, uh, horse racing market is let's allow people to wager on horses. But like uh, he was just pointing out, you can't wager on Kentucky to win the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's hard to reconcile those two things, I think, for sports fans, which is why so many uh, of them go online and place those wagers from you know the comfort of their uh, of their homes, just like they would place an order on Netflix for a particular movie or uh, or you know order uh, order food nowadays with a pizza. You know, I mean, you can order a pizza online, but you can't bet on who you think is going to win the game that you're going to eat the pizza while you watch.
2: Well, given this given this double standard, how would you advise somebody who's running an office pool or is a little bit afraid of of potentially getting prosecuted for this for setting up a uh, a pool for march madness what do you tell as a lawyer what do you tell uh, a regular everyday you know American who's just at work trying to set up a pool of a bunch of with a bunch of buddies and and have some fun?
0: Well, I think the story of Randy Bramos has to be given as a cautionary tale uh Randy Bramos was not um running a March madness tournament; he was running. A small fantasy baseball league in the early 1990s, something that again is very common in this country today. And the state of Florida decided to use him as a test case, and he was criminally charged for running the fantasy baseball league. Ultimately, the charges would drop, but I think you have to, as a lawyer, being risk averse, give the cautionary tale. Um, then the next thing as a lawyer that I would t- that I would do would be that once you give the cautionary tale, you have to say you can't get the risk down to zero. That if you want to enter a March Madness pool, it's not a zero risk, but there's things that can be done to reduce or to minimize the risk. And if you're really serious about minimizing the risk, it comes back to the issues of trying to avoid at least one of the three elements under state law, trying to avoid consideration, chance, or reward. And then addressing the issue with the um, PAPSA, um, which li- which limits in all but five states um, gambling in any form on fantasy- on professional sport or amateur sport contests.
4: What I would like to see, honestly, is I come back to the skill versus chance uh, distinction. I-, I just find it fascinating. I would like to see studies done to see if uh, you know people who are picking brackets in. The world of college coaching are better at it than uh, your average person who is is filling one out in an office pool. Uh, you know, different things like that to see whether or not you could make an argument that it's a it, it's a game of skill. I mean, I, I I don't know the answer, but I I think I would like to see the data. You know, if you played college basketball and regularly watch it, are you more likely to be good at discerning you know upset picks and picking bracket uh, bracket challenge? by and large, than the, the the casual fan, you know, your aunt who doesn't watch a game all year but puts in $20 to join the pool. In that case, she is poor, poorly skilled and you are greater skilled, or is it a situation where it's completely random, much like pulling a slot machine? Really, there are so many different externalities and possibilities that there's no way to demonstrate skill in things such as this, even over time and even over multiple uh, tournaments. I, I would just love to see what the numbers actually look like on a uh, on a study like that.
3: Having once won a Super Bowl pool, I think I am evidence that it's uh, <laughs> entirely a game of luck uh, and not of skill. Well, I, I don't. I think we're going to have to edit that one out, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm willing to bet we're seeing brackets going on in DA's office and prosecutors' offices all around this country right now. Uh, you know there is a lot of hypocrisy I think about government policy towards this because I mean you know we just in Massachusetts we just went through uh many years of debate over over casino gambling in the state they finally are we're finally going to uh, make some steps towards casino gambling but that debate was peppered with concern about you know a, a, the addiction addictive qualities of gambling uh the fact that people are going to throw their money away uh, needlessly uh and and yet our state, uh, you know, is selling lottery tickets at, at every corner store, uh, and at every where they can do it, uh, and they see no uh, no hypocrisy in, in those two conflicting policies. So I don't get it. But
4: what I love about the whole the whole process is, you know, when you really break it down, the sports media is losing a lot of jobs. Right, writers are losing a lot of jobs in the sports media industry because advertising dollars are drying up, and because there isn't enough. Uh, oomph there in advertising respects to go after all these jobs. I mean, I've I just made this argument. And I think a lot of sports writers who are older and, and have been in newspapers for a long time agree. There are billions of dollars, not just in the potential earnings that these companies could make, but can you imagine the, the the race that there would be to be an online gaming destination for sports fans? I have a site called OutKick the Coverage. Does about five or six hundred thousand unique visitors uh, a month. I mean, I would probably do seven figures in advertising. Trying to get those fans to bet on online gaming. I mean, I, I think it would actually, it, it would, it would be a gold rush. But it would be amazing if the government finally opens up the trough, so to speak, to see who the winners are in this overall, uh, overall race. I mean, I, I just think it would be fascinating.
2: It's a slippery slope, too, because as soon as we legalize gambling, we're going to have a whole group of people and they're out there already saying, well, you know, if you're going to legalize one vice, then you need to legalize other ones. There's plenty of vices right now that we try to eliminate, like we regulate alcohol. We, we eliminate prostitution for most part, except for one state, the same state that has a lot of gambling and, and medical marijuana. So this is, a, this is a step down a slippery slope that you're going to get a lot of argument about.
0: But if we deregulate uh, gambling on sports or gambling altogether, my guess is we are going to see a very different type of company that is running these games than we currently see. Just to give an analogy, um, in recent years there's been a movement in fantasy sports to having these one-day contests, which lie somewhere further over on the chance level than traditional fantasy sports. Now, you've seen companies come into this market like FanDuel and DraftStreet and FanDazzle. And the reason we see companies that otherwise are unheard of entering into this market is because the ESPNs and, to some extent, the CBS Sportses have avoided this market knowing it's a gray area under the law. If we were to deregulate sports gambling in its entirety in the United States, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but if we were to deregulate it, I think we're going to see a major shift in terms of who the companies are that are making the money. It would create a safe haven for the ESPNs and the CBS Sportses to come in. And I think it would be the large media conglomerates that end up taking most of the market share in sports gambling if we had a change in the law.
4: Let me disagree there because I think the leagues would prohibit it. So if you are going to have a relationship with uh, the NBA like uh, like ESPN does or with college football conferences and college basketball conferences, I think their television contracts and, and revised agreements would specifically prohibit them getting into the gaming industry. So I think what you would have is uh, it really would be fascinating to see what companies made moves. I agree that they would be larger. I mean, I don't think you're going to get mom-and-pop online gaming, But but I I think it would be fascinating to see which entities would make a run to try to gain that market share and become dominant. But I don't think it would be the ESPNs and the CBS Sports of the world, because if they're going to carry as partners the leagues, the leagues are not going to want to be in cahoots in the same way that the NBA and Major League Baseball and all these other franchises won't put teams in Las Vegas, even though the market would suggest it's there to be successful, at least so far. They want to create that presumption of distance. Same thing with the Maloof brothers owning the Palm Casino. You can't bet on NBA games there because they own an NBA team. It's the only casino in Vegas where you can't bet on an NBA uh, game if you want to.
2: Well, gentlemen, we need to interrupt here and and begin to wrap up the show. We're at uh, just a couple minute mark to ending. And we need to wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information, please. So, Mark, let's start with you.
0: Well, my final thoughts here is March Madness is a lot of fun and many people in America play. But technically, if you're playing in a pool with an entry fee, you're violating probably state and federal law. It's a low risk, but it is a risk. And I think it's important to understand the law better, first, to protect yourself, and second, to understand how perhaps the law should change. As you know, I'm a professor at Barry University's Dueno-Andreas School of Law and you the best way to reach me is M-A-R-C at M A R C E D E L M A N Mark at Markedlman dot com. Uh I'm Clay Travis. Uh I, I've
4: enjoyed this a great deal. I mean I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh my thought would be uh and I'm Clay Travis, clay.travis at gmail.com is the best way to get me. It's pretty simple. Clay.travis at gmail dot com. Uh my thought would be that we're heading towards an, an era where some of these contradictions are becoming incredibly self-evident in the way that we allow and also at the same time prohibit certain activities while uh, making money off others, I think we're headed towards a a cleansing of sorts where some of the inconsistencies and hypocrisies of the current system start to get ironed out a little bit. And I think over the next quarter century, some of the ways that we have dealt with gaming laws will seem incredibly quaint to to those who go back and, and research the history.
2: Great. Well, thank you both very much for being on the program today. We tremendously appreciate it. I I tend to agree. This is a whole tempest in a teapot about really something that, for the most part, people don't lose all their life savings at. You know, occasionally there's going to be one
3: or two, but the public policy reasons don't really seem to be there. Bob, what do you think? Um, Well... (laughs) I, I agree. For the most part, I, I tend to agree. I mean, there there are people who have real problems with gambling, but I don't think we're going at it. I don't think that the attempt to just kind of outlaw it outright uh, really isn't a way to get at it. Uh, I think the way to do it is to have smart laws about it and, and smart programs for helping people who have problems with it good idea.
2: And we'd like to thank uh, Mark and Clay for being with us today. It's a great discussion and certainly uh, I think will spark a lot of follow-up conversation. And for our listeners, we want to remind you that you can now get CLE credits through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to legaltalknetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you then.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss.